By the way, you do have the postcard in your worship bulletin. That's to invite someone to worship here at Grace so you can mail it to them or you can take it to them. Please make good use of that. We bow our heads and pray. Almighty God, you promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your holy word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So, how many people here have heard of Dolly Madison? Not the bakery, but the woman. Okay, have you heard of Dolly Madison? Okay. Um, how many people here have heard of Elsa Maxwell? Not as many, a few. Okay. Uh, and you know Martha in our gospel reading for today. So here's my question. What do Dolly Madison, Elsa Maxwell, and Martha in our gospel lesson for today have in common. They're all hostesses. They're well-known hostesses. Okay. Dolly Madison was the White House hostess for 16 years. You see, Thomas Jefferson was a widower, and Dolly was the wife of James Madison, Secretary of State, so she served as the official White House hostess, not only through Thomas Jefferson's presidency for eight years, but also through the presidency of her husband, James Madison, who followed for another eight years. And this is something Dolly would do. Every Wednesday evening, she would invite the public into the White House for dinner. And the president would be there. Uh, sometimes vice president would be there, maybe a Supreme Court justice. You could visit with them and, and, and ask them questions, that sort of thing. It was a lot of accountability back then, and, and they were called the Wednesday evening squeeze, okay, because of all the people that would attend, they'd have to squeeze a bunch of people into whatever room they were holding that uh, Wednesday evening meals. That's true. Every Wednesday evening, Dolly would do that. Now, Elsa Maxwell, she was an American gossip columnist. She was an author, a songwriter, a radio personality, and a professional hostess, uh, and she, she was known for her uh, parties for royalty and high society celebrity types in her day. She was born in 1883. She died in 1963. And Elsa would do this. Elsa would think up games for her guests to play uh, during the dinner. So they wouldn't have to just sit there and look at one another. They would have something to do. And, and in fact, she invented what we call the scavenger hunt. That was her idea. And if you enjoy scavenger hunts, which I don't, but if you, if you do, then uh, you can credit Elsa Maxwell and thank her. Now Martha, in our gospel lesson for the day, <clears throat> is known for being one of only two people in the gospel of Luke who welcomed Jesus into her home. The other one was Zacchaeus, in Luke chapter 19. Now we also see Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus in John chapter 11 and chapter 12. Now Lazarus, you know, was raised from the dead and 
in chapter 11 of John's Gospel. And then in chapter 12, Martha throws a dinner for Jesus and his disciples. She's serving, just like she is in our Gospel reading for today. And Mary, just like in our Gospel lesson for today, is at the feet of Jesus in John 12. There, she's anointing his feet with some expensive perfume, and she's wiping it off with her hair. The Jewish women in those days had long hair. They would often pin it up. Uh, but she unpinned her hair, and she wiped off the Lord's feet with her hair. So, on the back of your bulletin, the notes on the text, to welcome, this is verse 38, to welcome Jesus into one's home is a hallmark of a disciple. Martha is a disciple. She's a supporter of Christ's work. And to, to show hospitality to Jesus or to one of his disciples, that is the hallmark, or it's a hallmark, of a God-fearing person. And so we see this in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. That village was Bethany, which is it's on the Mount of Olives a short distance from Jerusalem. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now in the notes on the text, I have there for a rabbi to come into a woman's home to teach was unheard of. Come into a woman's home. A rabbi wouldn't do that. Rabbis didn't teach women. And the rabbi certainly wouldn't go into a woman's home to teach a woman. That might be considered rather scandalous, but he wouldn't do it. But, but Jesus doesn't necessarily respect our boundaries. He's not scared by things like that. Verse 39. Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Mary assumes the position, the posture of a disciple. This is what disciples did. This is how they learned. They sat at the feet of their master, their rabbi. And, and I cite Acts 22, verse 3, where Paul says that he learned Scripture sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. That was his teacher, his rabbi, before he was called to be an apostle. So this is submissive learning, then, that Mary is engaged in. And, and these are two great women. And the, the text really should speak this to you as we read these first two verses. Because Martha is demonstrating hospitality to Jesus, which not everyone did. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, the Samaritans would not welcome him. But Martha does. And then Mary has this submission uh, this submissive attitude, sitting at the feet of Jesus to learn. She is a disciple along with the men. Verse 40, But Martha was distracted with much serving. She was distracted. And in the Greek there, the word means to be pulled away into all kinds of things. So this is an elaborate meal, evidently. And, and it's burdening her. And it suggests she would rather be at the feet of Jesus. She's being pulled away by her responsibilities. 
and it suggests she would rather be with Mary. She'd rather be hearing the word, learning. I mean, after all, the first rule of hospitality is to enjoy the guest, right? But she's not doing that. She's being pulled away. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now, it's very possible she's already asked Mary to come help her, and Mary's just, you know, uh, absorbed in the teaching of the Lord, ignoring her sister, very possibly. And so now she goes up the chain, and she's going to speak to Jesus about it, because she thinks, I think correctly, that Mary will do what Jesus says. Okay. And so she issues this command to the Lord, tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Under the notes, verse 41, Jesus has no patience with some grievances. So Martha has a grievance. And there are certain grievances Jesus has no patience with. I cite John 12. It actually should be Luke 12 instead of John 12, 13 to 15. It should be Luke 12, 13 to 15. There, a man comes up to Jesus and he says, um, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And how does Jesus respond? Man, who made me an arbiter over the two of you? And then he said this. Beware of covetousness. And then he told a parable about a man who, whose land brought forth abundant crops. He thought, what am I going to do with all this grain? Oh, I'll build bigger barns and I'll enjoy myself and take my ease. Everything will be smooth sailing from here on out. And the Lord spoke to him that night and said, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get everything you can And so, Jesus doesn't take too kindly to grievances because he will then question the one who has the grievance and say, you know, look to yourself. Consider the log in your own eye before you try to take the speck out of your sister's eye. And many things here refers to an excessive meal preparation. Uh, you know, if, if, if you are hosting Jesus, you want to do the best job possible. And I'm sure that's on Martha's mind. But it's taking her away from Jesus. And therefore, it's not a good thing. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. And under your notes, the good portion refers to a portion of food. That's how the word is used in the Old Testament. Same word. It's used for a portion of food. Now Mary chose the better portion of the meal. Yeah, there's a meal Martha's preparing. But the real meal is at the feet of Jesus. He is, after all, the bread of life. He's the one who said, quoting Deuteronomy, man does not live by bread only, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So he's the real host. And I have to admire Mary 
in all of this. I, I admire Martha for her hospitality, but I admire Mary because she had to overcome, I think, some pressure, some societal pressure and expectation in order to remain seated. So she's not just standing her ground, she's sitting her ground there at the feet of Jesus as well she should. Despite what others may think, that she belongs in the kitchen, she belongs at the feet of Jesus first of all. She belongs there. So under your outline, the Holy Host, Roman numeral one, the actual host is Jesus. He's the real host in our lesson. And the good portion is his word. And it's a word of forgiveness for you, for me, for all who've failed. And that would be all of us. Earned by Jesus at the cross. That's the message. That's the sum total of why he came. It's to forgive sin. It's to restore you and your relationship to God. And that he's done. When he said it's finished on the cross, he meant it. There's nothing more for you to add. If you think you can add something to it, you're actually taking away. You're detracting from the work of the Lord. It's that much done. And it's for you, for me, for all. Jesus is the host wherever he appears. You remember in the Emmaus account in Luke 24, on the evening of the first Easter, Jesus is walking along with two disciples. They don't recognize him yet, but they invite him in. And what does he do? He acts as the host. He takes the bread. I mean, he's the giver of daily bread to begin with, right? But he takes the bread. He gives thanks to God. He breaks it, and then he disappears from their sight. He will be made known to you in the breaking of the bread in his holy supper. That's what he's communicating to us. But my point this morning is, he's the host. If he sat at your table, wherever he sits, that's the head of the table. He's the one who provides. Point B, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for men. He came to serve us, and that he does. Roman numeral two, the way to welcome Jesus, then, is to hear his word. To hear his word daily, weekly, to feed on his word, listening. Point A, true worship is divine service. That's why we call our Lutheran worship divine service. God is things. Why? Because the Lord comes in our midst, where two or more gather in his name, and he serves us with his gifts, word and sacrament forgiveness, life, and salvation. These are the gifts he delivers to us. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. This is why the night before he was crucified, he kneels down and he washes the feet of his disciples. He comes as a servant. He's going to the cross to serve you and to serve me. Two parts of our services, the word and sacrament, teaching and table. Jesus is the host and Jesus is the meal. He's everything. And point B, our lesson teaches us that hearing comes before doing. Hearing comes before doing. Learning comes before action. It's the 
living word of God that we hear that motivates us to give as we've been given to. Learning comes before action, but action is the proof of hearing. How do we know that you've heard? It's because you do. In last week's gospel lesson, the Good Samaritan, what did Jesus say to the Lord? Go and do likewise. Christianity is about doing, but most importantly, centrally, it's about hearing. It's the hearing that leads to the doing. Verse 42 again, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And when I pondered that this past week, it struck me, and it just hit me once again, that everything, almost everything I value in this life, practically speaking, everything I value in this life, I'll lose. Everything will be taken from me. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. You and I know that. You don't need me to tell you that. You don't need God's word to tell you that. You know it from experience. The Lord gives, the Lord takes. So many things that we invest ourselves in each and every day, many of them good things, and they're all gift from God, but they're lent to us. They belong to Him. And He'll take them back in His way and in His time. Everything we have under the sun will leave us except one thing. The one thing we must have that's the word of the Lord, the promises of God in Christ. Point C, you can take it with you when you die. That is the word of Jesus, the promises of Jesus. When you die, and I've been at the bedside of many people who are dying, and, and it's not unusual to, to see a holy fear of God come over them because all of a sudden their sins come flooding back. They know how guilty they've been. They know how helpless they are before a righteous and holy judge. And what they need to hear more than anything else, what they need to hear, is not how to be a good husband or a good wife, not how to spend your money well and be a good steward. All of those lessons are important, and they matter too. But what they need to hear is that word of forgiveness, that word of promise, that will enable them to stand before the judge, righteous and holy and confident in his sight on the last day. That's what they need. And that's what every one of us needs. To have the courage to walk through that front entrance every Sunday morning and to know that you're good enough to be here only because of Jesus. Many people stay away because they don't believe they're good enough to be here. They're operating under the law. They don't know the gospel. The gospel has not been driven home into their hearts where they're confident and secure before the Lord. But you are because you hear his word. You keep hearing it. Don't let go of it. Because it's the one thing that will never be taken from you. St. Augustine wrote, commenting on this passage, Martha represents this present life which is passing away. Mary represents the life that is to come. And I think in light of that, Jesus would say, don't invest yourself so much 
in what you cannot keep. Rather, invest yourself more and more in that which you cannot lose. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.